in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 1, we read, Now this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. Uh, I, you know, we, we read these things and they're so commonplace to us and the old English is woven in here and it ends up just sort of sounding poetic. And there are a couple of occasions as we're moving through where Moses is referenced and here it is Moses, the man of God. That's a nice title to have assigned to yourself. You know, think about all of the things that could have been written about Moses. The, the one word, two word summaries of Moses, you know, that rebellious man, Moses. <laughs> that murderer, Moses, right? That doubtful man, Moses. That disobedient man, Moses. Instead, what is recorded here is Moses, the man of God. It takes a tremendous amount of grace for the Lord to only remember Moses' correct obedience. Uh, you know, people often talk about, you know, the judgmental, fiery God of the Old Testament. Well, for those that had a relationship with him, uh, you see a very different definition of who God is and who God was. Yes, you see God's fiery wrath in the Old Testament. Uh, people are comparing that to Jesus' ministry here on earth as a meek, humble servant. you got to turn the pages, right, and get to like the book of Revelation and see Jesus in light of his glory and the sword that proceeds from his mouth and how he kills his enemies with that and how his feet are like finely polished brass that he tramples out humanity in his judgment and the blood of humanity is up to his chest spattered upon him for the judgment that is to come. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And as the scripture says, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't say that so you can be afraid of him. I say that so you can understand grace and mercy are still at your disposal. You still have the opportunity to experience God's love. It's a wonderful explanation here. You know, the man of God blessed the children of Israel before his death. He said, and now we get into how the blessing sort of unfolds. The Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir, speaking of the Lord's pleasant presence shining upon the nation of Israel. He shone forth from Mount Paran, and he came with ten thousands of his saints. Now, uh, it's worthy of examination, this statement, ten thousands of his saints, um, would better be translated ten thousands of his holy ones. And if we look through its placement and examine the rest of the scripture, we're probably talking about angels. So when the Lord came and appeared to the nation of Israel and presented himself and the law to the people, he was 
probably accompanied by great hosts from heaven, a great number of hosts from heaven. From his right hand came the fiery law for them. Yes, he loves the people. There it is again. All his saints are in your hand. They sit down at your feet. Everyone receives your words. They sit down at your feet, receive your words. If you go back and look at Exodus and how this transpired, they it says they actually saw God. Uh, when you say, well, wait a minute, you know, Scripture says no one sees God at any time. Uh, it says that they saw his feet upon a platform or a courtyard of sapphire. Um you know, look up sapphire. It's beautiful blue flaked with gold. It's amazing in its appearance. So his pavilion, his porch, his footstool, his throne room, however it was, his feet were resting on this great expanse of sapphire. It's a remarkable thing that they saw. So they come to his feet, and that's where they heard the voice of God, and they were so intimidated. Moses is recounting uh, what that experience was like. Imagine what that must have been like to have stepped into a place where you're literally seeing a being beyond description and you see his feet. What did those look like? Again, you can only imagine. Uh, however it is, your mind is blown. These people, upon hearing his voice when it was described there in Exodus, begged Moses to go communicate with God alone because the sound of his voice was so overwhelming that they feared it would destroy them. That's power. That's incredible. I'm sure, you know, not that God's voice is thunder or like thunder, but I'm sure you've been in places where the lightning strikes or the thunder is so loud and so close that, that you know you're 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 concerned for your safety in the moment I've described here uh, before in my early 20s I was in an apartment where a the lightning struck the house and passed through the apartment we were in the the sound deafened us um, it, it literally came through the electrical system of the house exited a light fixture in the kitchen and struck the stove, burned a hole in the pan that we were cooking in, destroyed the stove and a big section of the electrical in the house. The flash was in the apartment with us. The sound was in the apartment with us. That's, you know, one of the few times in my life, as far as electrical storms go, that I was completely overwhelmed, right? <clears throat> Imagine being in the presence of the Lord. He created lightning. You know, the one that can create lightning has to be more intimidating than lightning. He's here boggling their mind. Everyone receives your word as they sat at his feet. Moses commanded a law for us, a heritage of the congregation of Jacob. And he was king in Jeshurun. Uh, here, Jeshurun, again, uh, is the upright ones. Is the And that can apply to... Christians, it can apply to those who follow the Lord. Here it's referring to Israel. So, you know, more so it would just literally be translated the upright. So he was king in Jeshurun. Then the leaders of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel together, and 
here begins the blessings. Let Reuben live and not die, nor let his men be few. Uh, this is very reflective if you're a student of the scripture. Jacob, right, Abraham was the, the patriarch, gave birth uh, to Isaac, sired Isaac, and then Jacob uh, gave birth to these 12 brothers who become the individual tribes of the nation of Israel. Upon Jacob passing away in Genesis chapter 49, uh, he called his sons together and pronounced his blessings and his curses upon them in the situation. Reuben, uh, in that situation, was not given a great blessing and even was given a message of sort of a diminishing attitude that they wouldn't be. And they never became anything big. Uh, we don't see them, uh, you know, uh, becoming a mighty nation or, you know, conquering or doing anything spectacular. But here the Lord puts a preservation stamp upon them through Moses that they're not going to come to nothing. They're not going to be wiped out. They're not going to be forgotten. They're going to live and not die, nor let his men be few. Uh, so they were able to thrive in, in the nation of Israel and inside the promised land. And this he said to Judah, hear, Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him to his people. Let his hands be sufficient for him, and may he be a help against his enemies. Um, so many occurrences of Judah, the line of the tribe of Judah, Jesus coming from Judah, all that we see happening in Judah here, Moses is pronouncing this blessing upon them and it will transpire as especially they enter into the land verse 8 and of levi he said your thummim and your urim be with your holy one now uh, we'll look at exodus 28 30 in just a moment but the two words um, uh, urim and thummim is usually how we read it, and it's the idea of light and perfection is uh, just as far as the words go. Here, for whatever reason, Moses reverses it, thumum and urum. So perfection and light is how it's listed. We don't get any real insight as to why or the definitions there. Exodus chapter 28 verse 30 explains this a little bit to us, uh, and you shall put in the breastplate of the priest, that is, of judgment, the Urim and Thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. Uh, it is thought that what the Urim and Thummim were, were a white and a black stone of absolutely identical cut so that by feel you would not be able to distinguish between the black or the white in a pouch on the breastplate of the priest uh, historically what we do know is they would inquire of the lord through the urim and thummim it seems from Jewish history and the way that it's described that they would purposely pose whatever question and inquiry they had for the Lord 
in a negative or positive way. Lord, do you want us to go to war? Type of question. The priest would reach into the pouch and pull out a stone. If it was the white stone, then they would assume the answer was yes. If it was the black stone, then they would assume the answer was no. You know, positive and negative is sort of the thought there. We have little other information, and I just need to clarify again, that's all speculation. Okay, what were the Urim, the, the, the Urim and the Thummim? They were stones, they were in the breastplate, and they used them to determine the will and the judgment of God. That's what's meant here when it says that he will bear the judgment upon his chest. So he has the judgment of God at his disposal. Um, from that thought, not that we literally know that, that's, that's where we get the idea of being blackballed. You know, the judgment that comes, you know, negative or positive. I, I like that thought because if we carry that into the grace of the New Testament, we arrive in the book of Revelation and we as believers are told we will be given a new name carved upon a white stone, right? So no black ball for us, no negative answer for us. Perhaps that's the thought is here. Here's your new existence. Here's your new name. Here's who you are going to be in my presence. Much like Moses being called the man of God, right? I mean, you've got to know that there were people in the crowd who, you know, hear Moses called the man of God, and they're thinking like, yeah, right. You know, do you actually know this man? Do you know his history? Do you know what he's like? The same as someone might say of me or you, right? From a human perspective, Whatever they've thought, whatever they've been taught, whatever they think, correct or incorrect, the Lord in his grace says of Moses, man of God, gives you a white stone with a new name and his approval in the process. So it's a beautiful picture there. So they, Levi will, uh, said, let the Thummim and the Urim be with your Holy One. And in this case, that's specifically the Holy One is referring to the high priest. That, that he would be the authority of judgment over the nation of Israel. Continuing there, again, in uh, verse 8, uh, the, Urim, the Thummim and the Urim be with your Holy One, whom you tested at Mesa, and with whom you contended at the waters of Meribah, who says of his father and mother, I have not seen them. So the trials and the approval process that uh, Levi went through, this statement, I have not seen them, meaning that the Lord is their commitment. That family is secondary to the Lord. Uh, that they are supposed to have their priority fixed upon him and serve the nation of Israel by serving the Lord. Nor did he acknowledge his brothers or know his own children, for they have observed your word and kept your covenant. It isn't that they were neglectful of family at all it was that the lord held a greater priority in their lives that that you know at times they would say to their family i can't be with you i can't serve you i cannot go on that vacation do that thing i'm serving the lord uh, you know the concerns that come from the apostles about family and homes and all of those circumstances and the lord says to them seek ye first 
the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. The Lord needs to be our chief priority in all situations. Verse 10, they shall teach Jacob your judgments and Israel your law. I found that interesting, right? If we're understanding uh, of Jacob and who he was, right? Uh, He was also Israel, right? He he was Jacob, which is the heel catcher, right? The scoundrel, the one who comes from behind and trips someone up, right? That's, That's what his name literally meant. And he wrestles with God and God changes his name to Israel in that conflict. I'm convinced, speculation, totally my weird mind, but I'm convinced Right As the scripture tells us that they were wrestling together and the prophet tells us that it was through tears and supplication that Jacob said, I will not let go of you until I receive a blessing. There the Lord said, what is your name? I'm convinced that Jacob had the Lord by the ankle right at that moment. What is your name? Heel catcher, right? (laughs) Yeah, just like you are right now. Uh, Have you been confronted by the Lord like that? Where he meets you right where you are and says, what's in your hand right now? Right? And he touched Jacob's hip, right, and crippled him. He left that confrontation with the Lord limping. But his name was now Israel, which means governed by God. He goes from heel catcher, scoundrel, one who comes from behind and trips others up, to Israel, governed by God is his name. So think about all of that in light of Levi shall teach Jacob your judgments and Israel your law. When we're guilty, what do we fear from God? His judgment. When we are governed by God, what is it that guides us? His word, his law. So who do you want to be moment to moment? You want to be under the judgment or do you want to be guided by his word? Right? Because that's that's the truth, right? When we come in and sit down even in these halls and we're living in rebellion to the Lord, the whole message feels like someone is attacking me. (laughs) But when we're obedient to the Lord and we sit in these halls, we go, oh, that's great instruction. I needed that. That's going to help me. It's it's not that the word is any different. It's not that the preacher is any different. It's not that the message is any different. It's our condition. It's where we are at. And so here he will teach Jacob your judgments and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you, symbolic of the prayers, and the whole burnt sacrifice on the altar. Bless his substance, Lord, and accept the work of his hands. Listen, the Lord doesn't have to, because you can guarantee that every one of these priests was not only flawed as a human being, right? They have to offer their own sacrifices, So they're not sinless. And I can guarantee you that the perfection that was required in the law as they were doing the very job of being a priest, they were failing at that. Because they're human. They're human. It takes God's grace to even accept what we offer to him. 
what we do for him, what we are before him. Because the only way Moses understands these people are going to experience the grace and the acceptance of God is by his grace. Bless his substance, Lord, and accept the work of his hands. Strike the loins of those who rise against him. That's quite a verse. Maybe we need a t-shirt or a bumper sticker that says that. I don't know. And those who hate him, that they rise not again. That'll put you down, being struck in the loins. That'll end the fight right there. 33.12. Of Benjamin, he said, the beloved, right? Benjamin, that name means son of my right hand. Right? The beloved of the Lord shall dwell in safety by him who shelters him all the day long. He shall dwell between his shoulders. If that seems odd to you, this is the idea of a father carrying his child on his shoulders. You know? Just pick up that little child and put him right on your shoulders and just walk with him. As a little kid, that's a great place to be, right? You get to all of that elevated, you know, vision and ability and you get the closeness and relationship and the thrill and the excitement between the shoulders, resting on the shoulders of the Heavenly Father. What a remarkable place to be. And of Joseph, he said, blessed of the Lord is his land with the precious things of heaven, with dew deep lying beneath, with the precious fruits of the sun, with the precious produce of the months, with the best things of the ancient mountains, with the precious things of the everlasting hills, with the precious things of the earth in its fullness, and the favor of him who dwells in the bush." Remarkable statement. Joseph, of course, as it's going to go on and talk about, was betrayed by his brothers. He was favored by his father, favored by the Lord, given such skill and spiritual and prophetic messages, and his brothers hated him for it, right? Sold him into slavery, persecuted the trials, the torment that he went through. The scripture doesn't record any failings on his part. No complaining whatsoever. We see his human character just a little as he addresses his brother and manipulates them a little bit into confession to bring them to the place they need to be spiritually. But otherwise, remarkable individual and his statement. Uh, this relationship stems from the favor of him. Notice the capital H on that pronoun, him who dwelt in the bush. This is referring to the Lord who came to Moses in the burning bush. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, seemingly the priest to God, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. We should be familiar with that. Voice of the Lord, commission of Moses, sending him to Pharaoh and to the people of Israel to deliver them. Joseph has these blessings because of his relationship with him who dwelt in the bush. He said, blessed of the Lord in his land. Verse 16 uh, with the precious things of the earth and its fullness in the favor of him who dwelt in the bush. Let the blessing come 
on the head of Joseph and on the crown of, of the head of him who was separate from his brothers, separate spiritually and then separated physically as he was sold by them into slavery. His glory is like a firstborn bull and his horns like the horns of a wild ox. Together with them, he shall push the people to the ends of the earth. They are the ten thousands of Ephraim and they are the thousands of Manasseh. While Joseph was in Egypt, separated from his family, he had a wife and children. The two boys, Ephraim and Manasseh, that were born to him when his father Jacob came in to Egypt and then pronounces the inheritance and the blessing upon those sons. Rather than giving his to Joseph, he claims Ephraim and Manasseh as his own sons. So the grandfather claims the grandsons as his own sons to impart the blessing that was intended for the father upon his two grandsons. So they become tribes within the nation of Israel and great blessing as a result. Verse 18, and of Zebulun, he said, rejoice, Zebulun, in your going out in Issachar, in your tents. This is the idea of blessed in your work and blessed in your homes is what's being said here. They shall call the people of the mountains uh, where they ended up settling a mountain separated these two tribes and they became known as the people of the mountain. Uh, there they shall offer sacrifices of righteousness, for they shall partake of the abundance of the seas. Both the Mediterranean was right there and the Galilean Sea was close by as well. And the treasures hidden in the sands. Uh, because of that, a bunch of uh, prospectors have been there over and over again looking for treasure and in particular oil. Uh, hidden in the sands there so far they've found nothing one thing i want to point out right is they're not even in the land yet all of these promises are coming and you can almost if you're you know a skeptic sit here and think like yeah right you know we're still dwelling in tents we're still wandering in the wilderness take that to heart because you'll read the scripture sometimes and you'll hear some wonderful blessing and it'll point right to you in the passage and in your heart and say, that's for you, that belongs to you. And if you're not there ready to receive what the Lord is saying, you may reject and not believe. It doesn't mean you're not going to receive it, but you'll feel foolish once the Lord has blessed you with it. Trust what is written in his word and what he says to your heart. Verse 20 and of Gad, he said, blessed is he who enlarges Gad. He dwells as a lion and tears the arm and the crown of his head. So interesting. It's He tears the arm as in war and he has a crown upon his head. And the crown of his head could have implications to war. But it's it's an authoritative statement that's really quite unique. Again, I just said to you, these promises come long before their fulfillment. Moses is giving these as prophetic messages of what the Lord <coughs> wants to do. Uh, Gad becomes the tribe of the mighty commanders among David's troops. You can see that in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, 
verse 14 where it says, These were the sons of Gad, captains of the army. The least was over a hundred, the greatest was over a thousand. So the Lord uses this very thing in their lives. Continuing, it says in verse 21, he provides the first part for himself. We're still speaking of Gad. Because a lawgiver's portion was received there. <clears throat> so this first portion is um, sort of a blessing and a condemnation, right? Because it was Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh who, upon coming to the land, chose to take their inheritance on the western side of the Jordan River. And, and it ends up being a great blessing to them financially, a great blessing to them in regard to all their flocks and their herds. But uh, we've pointed out several times that by the time Jesus arrives, uh, they are raising pigs and uh, they have demon-possessed men living amongst them who reject Christ, and then they as a whole, as a community, reject Christ and beg him to go to, go away. So while Gad's receiving these blessings, he's also uh, here being told of what their uh, outcome will be. He provides a first part for himself. So rather than accept what the Lord might have, he chose for himself. Because a lawgiver's portion was reserved there, he came with the heads of the people, he administered, the justice of the Lord and his judgment with Israel. And the uh, decision was made legally that they would hold the land and take that portion for themselves. And of Dan, he said, Dan is a lion's whelp and he shall leap from Bashan. Uh, not a compliment. You hear it and think, oh, that's great. Well, better to be described as a lion than only a potential lion. You know, you're a cub, a lion's whelp. <clears throat> you know, that, that's that's not something you commonly put on your, you know, family crest. You know what I'm saying? You know, the roaring lion, the rearing lion, the power of the lion. But the cub is not something that you would uh, automatically put forward for yourself. And there's this instance uh, here that is uh, described where... They have uh, made the decision, uh, and they end up being the ones that introduce idolatry to the nation of Israel. As the division occurs between David's family and the people following David's family, and they break away, Jeroboam breaks away and forms the ten northern tribes in the north, which becomes known as Israel, and the two tribes in the south become known as Judah, they bring idolatry into the land. And I want to read that to us. First Kings chapter 12, beginning at verse 26. Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David if these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. And the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord. Jeroboam, king of Judah and they will kill me and go back to uh, Rehoboam, I should have said. I miss said that earlier. Uh, so it was Rehoboam that he was fearful of. To go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Therefore, the king asked advice, made two calves of gold, and said to the people, 
It is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. That is so blasphemous. It's crazy. And I want you to notice a couple of things. All right. Uh, it says in the beginning uh, of this statement, it is too much for you. No, it's not. You know how I know it's not? Because the Lord said it was not. It is not too much for them. It is good for them, right? If you've been to Israel, it's a little smaller than Rhode Island. You can drive from the northern reaches on the Lebanese border to the southern border in a day. Okay? It is not massive. And the Lord is saying this sacrifice of your time to come and gather together at Jerusalem will bless you spiritually beyond your imagination. Okay? Saints, not that you guys have ever done this. I hear this happens in other churches, but... Uh, have you ever had it where you don't feel like going to church and you go to church and then you're really glad you went to church? You're very, very blessed to have been in the company of believers, to have heard the word, to have sung songs, to have your heart. This is what the Lord knows these people need. Come to Jerusalem. There's a wicked motivation in Jeroboam's whole function. Of, I can't let them go because if they go, then their heart is going to be drawn back to where it belongs. So now understand why I'm so adamant about defying any governmental authority that would say to you, you cannot go to church. You must obey the Lord and be gathered together here. Then he says, you know, this is your God, these two golden cows, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. Go back and read the account where Aaron makes the golden calf, right? He literally tells the people, this golden calf is the Lord that brought you out of Egypt. How blasphemous is that? The Lord is singularly his own and we are not to worship any other thing. They introduce so this lion's whelp, yeah, great power, yeah, great strength, uh, but in a very immature way, in a way that ends up being very costly. Uh, if you need a lion to defend you, if you're under attack and it would require a lion to go to war on your behalf, you don't want a cub, right? You need a full-grown lion doing its job to defend you. Uh, our king, the lion of the tribe of Judah, is the one here is a lion's whelp, and he ends up producing bad things in the process. He set up one in Bethel, the other he put in Dan. Uh, now this thing became a sin for the people, went to worship before the one as far as Dan. Uh, back in Deuteronomy 33, looking at verse 23, and of Naphtali, he said of O Naphtali, satisfied with favor, Full of the blessing of the Lord possesses the west and the south. That's the west and south of the Sea of Galilee. Great abundance, great fruitfulness, uh, great industry uh, was given to them and found in their tribes. Verse 24, and of Asher, he said, Asher is most blessed of sons. Let him be favored by his brothers and let him dip his foot in oil. And again, 
All of the prospectors have been over there drilling endlessly, looking for the oil that would be found in these locations. Oil has been found in Israel in none of these locations that is mentioned, and it is mostly near the Dead Sea, and it is becoming more and more prominent on the world economic seen because uh, it's the lowest place on the earth. So all of the Middle Eastern oil in the entire region drains down into their wells. So as they're pumping it out, they're draining everybody that's higher in elevation uh, to them. So the Lord is blessing them. The oil would seem uh, here in Asher's territory that's being referred to as the olive oil. If you get a chance to go to Israel and you travel through this region, it is just massive, endless olive orchards everywhere. Their olives are incredible. The oil is abundant and some of the purest in the world. So it, it might seem to be that is what the Lord is talking about. Your sandals shall be iron and bronze. Doesn't sound really comfortable. I'm not sure why. Uh, more to do with uh, at your feet. There will be iron and bronze. And the mineral content in the region has historically been great in abundance and in wealth. As your days, so shall be your strength or your strength be. Uh, the idea that uh, they will be strong all the way until they're passing away. You know, they won't be diminished in their strength uh, throughout their years. Talking individually. Uh, 3326. Uh, there is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides the heavens to help you and in his excellency on the clouds. There's no one like the God of Jeshurun. How true is that? There's no one like our God. There is nothing like our God. The world has no help. The world has no answers. Our God alone. You know, people say, well, that's really arrogant, you guys, talking about that, that Look, take it up with the one who said it. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just. I'm just telling you what he says of himself, and no other god can say this. I'm not trying to be smug in that, right? You know, if if you're the greatest in the world, that's something, and you've proven that, then you're really not arrogant to say I'm the greatest in the world, right? I mean, if you're if you're the greatest boxer in the world, if you put everybody else to shame, you're the greatest boxer. You've knocked everybody else out. If you're the greatest golfer, you're the greatest fisherman, you, you got you got grounds to say, look at the... God is saying this. God is literally saying there is no other God. I am the only God. You know, all the small G's are not gods. They're meaningless. I alone. You want help, you want fortitude, you want strength, you want provision. What, what do you want? It's remarkable because God literally is saying that sometimes people miss that when he introduces himself in the burning bush to Moses and he says tell them I am I am what yes that's literally what he means over time he goes through the explanation I have need of this God says I am well I am also in need of this God says I am I am the fulfillment of those things. I am your strength. I am your protector. I am your provider. I am your comforter. I am all that you need. In the very introduction of himself, the reintroduction really of himself to humanity through Abraham, he says to Abraham, I am your great reward. Not, not, not the land, not 
the wealth, not the abundance, not all that you have. I'm your great reward. I hope that's very, very stark in your mind. He rides the heavens to help you and his excellency on the clouds. The eternal God is your refuge. That's awesome. He is, you don't have to build a refuge. You don't have to have a survival plan. You don't have to have a bunker. God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms, not the temporary help, not the earthly support, not the corrupted thing that will fall away. Everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from before you and will say, destroy then Israel shall dwell in safety. The fountain of Jacob alone, and the land of grain and new wine, his heavens shall also drop dew. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help. Well, tell me, that isn't a New Testament statement, right? A people saved by the Lord. The shield of your health. This is our God. Same yesterday, today, and forever. And the sword of your majesty. Your enemies shall submit to you. And you shall tread down their high places. Tread down their high places is their places of idolatrous worship. Right? It isn't just the elevated places. It's the places that they've lifted up as being their places of worship. This, this, is our, this is the thing we honor. This is the thing we hold. You hold God in the highest esteem. Well, we hold science in, in, you know, in the highest esteem and education in the highest esteem. Well, here's the thing. Our God is above those things. He created science. He created education. And this is our God. We, we are a people of science. We are a people of the God of science. Uh, this whole attitude, you, know, you, can, you can hear it in the fact that they're saying they indirectly they worship science. right? You say that you're a worshiper of Jesus Christ, and they say, well, really, we rely upon science. Oh, I rely upon Jesus Christ. You rely upon science. My God created your science. How about you submit to that? And we will conquer them, and we will bring these high places down. I just want to remind you, as you look around the world and you see the chaos and the stupidity, it can be very disheartening. You get your eyes focused on that, and it can freak you out completely. I'll just give you Romans 8.31. To hold on to. What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? This is the hour we live in. All of this nonsense that's going on all around us. It really is that simple. We don't, we don't have to, you know, find all these tricky little combinations of great things and assemble them until, okay, there, I got all my verses lined up. No. If God is for us, who can be against us? Let them say whatever they're going to say. Let them do whatever they're going to do. God is going to sustain you in your job. Right? We, we as American Christians, often let our focus drift. 
And we go, oh, no, I've lost my job, or it's under threat. Where's my provision going to come from? Same place it always has. God is your provider. I don't have housing, and I don't know what I'm going to have my car. God has always been your provider. God has always been your protector. He has always been your refuge and your shield. You are saved by the Lord your God. If you'll fix your eyes upon him, then you have no concerns at all. Amen? Amen. Well, we'll have to see Moses passing in Deuteronomy chapter 34 next week. That's the time we have. So will you stand with me and we'll pray? It's a short chapter. There are a couple of other things we'll look at next week. But take the time to read ahead and see these last moments of such a great man of God in Moses. Father, we thank you for communion. We thank you for fellowship. Thank you for your word and ask that you would cause these passages to implant in our lives and to grow. That they would be fruitful and accomplish the things that you want them to, Lord. We want to see your kingdom come and your will being done in us and through us and by us. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.